I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Equity mates, welcome everybody. Episode eleven. Happy to be with you here with my equity mates, buddy Ren. How are you, mate? I'm good, mate. How are you? Good, good. We've had a pretty interesting week with some of our stocks in our hypothetical portfolio, which we'll quickly run over before we kick off proceedings. But as always, the show today is going to include some news for you guys. There's been a lot happening, and then uh, Ren is going to go into a segment on uh, investing versus speculating, and what are the differences and what it means to us. And then, of course, we'll jump into a stock of the week. So big show coming up and uh, we're pretty pumped to get into it. But to start off, a quick update on our Equity Mates hypothetical portfolio, which you can check out on our website. We're doing pretty well. We're happy with where we're at, but there's been a few developments in some of the stocks that we've picked uh, this week. So Ren, you want to take it away? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the first stocks we picked was Australian Agricultural Company. Uh, Mm. Now, as the name suggests, they're a uh, big agricultural company. They produce a lot of beef um, and they've recently got heavily into the beef export market. So India is the second largest beef exporter in the world and they account for 20% of all beef exported. Now it's really important for Australia this ban because would you believe it Indian buffalo meat was becoming a serious competitor to Australian beef exports. I would not believe that. (laughs) It's particularly in Indonesia where there's a lot of value put on just a cheap source of protein um, and obviously Indonesia being so close to Australia it's a big market for Australian beef exports but yeah Indian buffalo meat was really cutting into uh, Australian agricultural company and other beef exporters profits so you know we wait and see whether this ban will be upheld there's a lot of money at stake for Indian farmers so could be overturned but at this stage it's good news for AAC it's bad news for people who like buying beef because the global beef price should rise hopefully we can see a bit of a price movement over time for AAC we bought them at $1.68 and they're now sitting at $1.87 so about 11% up so pretty happy with that one And then the other update we have is with AFY or Afterpay. Um, We bought them last episode, I think it was. And their news was that they have just signed an exclusive partnership with Trade Me, which is New Zealand's largest online uh, marketplace. And they have a very strong brand over there. So this is a great way for AFY to get uh, a channel into uh, New Zealand and uh, expand on their markets and uh, offerings. So that was great news. And the market responded pretty well to that news um, over the last week. Afterpay has jumped by about 15%. So it's now sitting at a healthy $3. So pretty happy with both of those. Yeah, and uh, it's well always so far. also worth mentioning, guys, that we are going to be changing our broker from what we were previously with who was it Ren? Uh, CMC Markets. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So they were doing eleven dollars ninety five. Who at the time when we signed up with them were one of the cheapest brokers yeah. in well, the market. They still the market. are. They still are one of the cheapest. But we're going yeah. to the very cheapest, which is IG. Now they okay. they charge eight dollars for brokerage. And if any listeners out there want to call me out and point out a cheaper a cheaper company with cheaper brokerage, let us know because we'll um we'll move to the cheaper ones. <laughs> we'll jump ship. But there's absolutely no reason that you should be paying. 
you know, I know CBA, Commonwealth do 19.95, which in at the moment just seems a ridiculous price when you can be paying $8 per transaction. So we've changed to IG and that will be reflected in our um, portfolio online as well. Yeah. So we just thought we'd update you on that. It's worth it's worth saying as well, in, in real life, I also have changed from ComSec to IG. Um, ComSec was really convenient for me because I'm a ComBank customer, but, you know, you save $11 every trade. It's, it's not a lot, but, you know, it's something. It's certainly considerable when you might be trading in the minimum $500 allotments as well. And as the same as you, Ren, I've also changed to IG. I still have holdings in Commonwealth, but my <laughs> new, new um, trades will be done through IG. Yeah. And we, also- we should say, we should say IG haven't sponsored this segment, but um, no. <laughs> you know, if they want to sponsor us going forward, we'll keep giving them a plug. <laughs> <laughs> and they also do international trades for a flat 10 US. So that's also pretty appealing if once you get to that stage, it's um, worth having a look at. Anyway, so moving on. There's been some big news agendas this week. Randy, you want to take it away? Yeah, sure. So uh, the big news uh, on everyone's lips this week is that Trump has left... I don't know about everyone's lips. Oh, I don't know. (laughs) It's been pretty widely discussed. For those who haven't heard, I guess, uh, uh, President Trump recently pulled out of the Paris Climate Change Agreement, uh, an agreement that every nation on Earth, aside from Syria and Nicaragua, signed. And would you believe it, Nicaragua didn't sign it because they didn't think the agreement went far enough. So really, it's now only Syria and uh, America that are pulling out of the climate agreement. In my opinion, not not a lot of... Uh, investment worthy news you know people will jump you know to hot takes like oh clean energy stocks should fall and you know this is great news for oil companies and you know oil stocks did rise on the news and there is some truth to that but in the long term what we're seeing is that the market for clean power is really driving action more so than government policy even if america pulls out of this agreement uh, i think you know the incentive structures globally are still there we see china investing huge amounts in renewables we see the Europe Europeans forging ahead. India's announced a huge commitment to continue investing in renewables. So, you know, if you own a clean energy stock, um, I wouldn't fret too much. I think the incentives are still there. Mm. On the inverse, you know, the long and slow decline of fossil fuel industries may have been halted, but, you know, it probably will still continue over the longer term. So, Mm. I don't know. I don't reckon there's too much there. Yeah, no major ramifications at the moment but i guess it's just interesting as well that trump's just going on his own agenda which no one can really predict where it's going and that in itself can create some volatile activity on the market so yeah um, if if you try if you think you know what he's thinking pull out of the market you don't know what he's thinking no one knows what he's thinking or bet a lot of money and you can (laughs) i mean steve bannon doesn't know what he's thinking just (laughs) i I don't think he knows what he's thinking (laughs) (laughs) anyway let's move on to something that we um yes or is at least stocks related so start of this week uh, sorry start of last week I think it was big news across the front of the Australian Financial Review May 30th uh, for those that are interested Philip Parker who was the chief investment officer and I'm pretty sure founder of Altair Asset Management uh, sold everything that they had under management and returned all of their all of the cash back to his investors he put it down to the fact that he was predicting big doom and gloom in the markets to come, you know, asset crash, 
and all sorts of things that he was putting it down to the fact that he, his reputation was on the line. And by doing so, he was selling out all the profits that he had made over the last few years and returning all of the profits back to his investors who were all happy with what he'd been doing because he foresaw that down the track, you know, the markets are going to turn and he might not be in a position to be able to protect that money as, as well as if he hadn't have made this decision. Mm -hmm. However, um, I'm not sure where you stand on this, Ren, but there was definitely a lot of commentary about, is there more to this? You know, mm -hmm. it's a very unusual thing for an asset manager to come out and just completely liquidate and sell all because at the end of the day, half of their role and the reason that they're paid all of these management fees is to actually protect your, your money in economic cycles. So yeah. sell, selling out seems like a bit of a cop-out really. Yeah, and um, if, if I can be really cynical for a moment, you know, even even when these funds perform really poorly in the event of a crash, you know, they, these fund managers make performance fees, but they also make fees for just assets under management. Yeah. So like this guy either really had to care about his reputation so much that, you know, he was willing to forgo a lot of, you know, personal wealth, the furtherance of his career. Mm. Um, you know, it's a, it is a big move. It's not, it's not as simple as just giving everyone their money back and then, you know, six months later, giving them a call and, you know, putting the band back together, so to speak. Yeah, um, exactly. It is... It's and a career-altering decision from him. Yeah, in a big way. But firstly, I just I think we should start with you know we'll keep this brief. But you know he 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 started with this whole doom and gloom outlook, and that's something that we've been talking about over the last few months as well. You know, there's a, a bit more chatter coming through, and investors are starting to make decisions about putting more in cash and that sort of stuff. So in terms of overall market thinking, he he's sort of pre preaching the same sort of message. So that is one thing to consider. The second side is having a look behind all the fanfare and and uh at what is actually going on so do you have anything to add to that ren well yeah i mean he um it's come out that he is being sued by his mum in the new south <laughs> wales supreme court um apparently he used his mum's shares as collateral on a loan um She's alleging that it happened without her permission. I mean, you know, we, we don't know. You know, one might have everything to do with the other. It might mm. also have absolutely nothing to do with the other. You know, he um the, the funds were going okay. His two funds were ranked uh, 19th and 21st best equity funds in Australia by Morningstar. Okay. But, so, you know, like on the surface, that looks good. But yeah. he had two directors resign, uh, one in October last year and one in April this year. So, okay. I mean, look, there's a lot of facts um, going on in there. Uh, going on in this story to be honest i don't know if this story itself is too too interesting um i think you know like it's sorry i don't know if it's too important it's it's yeah, an interesting yeah. story but at the end of the day you either agree with his prediction you think the market's fully valued you think there's a property value sorry you think there's a property bubble uh, and you agree with his decision to move to cash mm. or or you think the market's still got further to go and you might think, you know, you might justify it and say there's more to this story. Yeah. Really, the, the more important thing here is what the market's doing rather than what this bloke's doing. Yeah. Good point. So that brings us to today being the first Tuesday of every month. And that's the time at which the RBA have their meeting and discuss what they're going to do with our interest rates. So interestingly, over the last few months, there's been a lot of talk that, you know, the, the interest rates are going to stay as is. Um, we're going to float through to the end of the year and 2018 will come and then the RBA will probably decide on what to do 
going forward. However, recently there's been a lot more talk and 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 uh, pricing into the market that the RBA, if not today, then in the near future, will be actually cutting interest rates. And if the RBA is cutting interest rates, what what does that mean more generally? So a cut in interest rates generally means that they are trying to stimulate the economy. They're seeing that. Um, they're trying to make access to money cheaper so that businesses will invest more, consumers may, may borrow more and spend more. And essentially, yeah, it's a way that uh, uh, the central banks use to try and encourage economic growth. So that obviously gives an indication that if they're willing to do that, then obviously Australia's economy is probably not going as well as they had been thinking. Now we're going to be getting some gross domestic product or GDP results coming out tomorrow for Australia, which are said to be quite weak and weaker than expected. Now, the RBA said today that over the next three years, we're going to be growing at hopefully growing at around 3%. But a lot of people are saying that's a very ambitious target. So at the end of it all, the RBA didn't do anything with rates today. They decided to sit on it. But what was more important was the message that they gave across. And unlike the last few months where they have come out and said, you know, used quite strong words in terms of um, growth, growth rate, um, housing prices, et cetera, et cetera. The statement that they released today was a little softer than usual and left them with a bit more wiggle room in case things did start to turn a bit bad um, or, or worse than expected. So watch this space, I guess, yeah. um, because an, an interest rate cut for Australia, in my opinion, is probably not the best thing going forward. But unfortunately, in, in this economic climate, and it's something that we haven't seen in a long time, the ability for the RBA to actually change the way we're going forward is quite tired. Their hands are tied at the moment. M- moving interest rates even lower will only further inflate house prices and, and probably not stimulate demand just the, the, the way they want it so yeah. Um, the, yeah the other the other really interesting thing to take into account is australia for a while has had a two-speed economy so for a while there when the mining boom was really kicking along wa and queensland were crushing it and the rest of australia you know not so much and mm-hmm. then since the mining booms really slowed down we've seen um especially new south wales and victoria really pick it up and a lot of the other states start to lag behind so well, it's a really diffi- it's really difficult for the rba to make these decisions because you know if you're going on a state-by-state basis interest rate decisions might be a little bit easier but you You've got to make policy for the all of the country mm-hmm. and you know it might lowering interest rates might stimulate economic growth in WA and some other states but then it will it might also further inflate a property bubble in Sydney and Melbourne yeah. so you know there's yeah. there's always two sides to it for the RBA so I guess we yeah. wait with bated breath yeah definitely it, yeah I think the, the main takeaway from that though is that their outlook on the Australian economy is seems to be changing as as is the market so and not and not for the for the for the better so see what happens yeah well, after all that doom and gloom, it might be uh, worth. I mean, this this story isn't too. It's not. It's not quite fun, but it's an interesting one. Yeah. So everyone loves a good technology company. Everyone wants to be the next tech billionaire. Uh, yeah. If you had invested in Amazon or Google, which turned itself into Alphabet, mm-hmm. you would be well on your on your way to being that tech billionaire. Mm. Both of their stocks have just hit over a thousand dollars per share. U.S. or Australian? U.S. Wow. Yeah. So. Um, um, they've been on a pretty incredible ride. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about the tech boom of the 90s that crashed in 2001. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Amazon and Google's share price now compared to then is yeah. nothing. You know, they're crushing what they were in 2001. Yeah. Um, and that is even with a, a big correction when the market crashed. So, yeah. you know, I... I 
Like, you know, there's there's lessons to be taken away, but also Amazon and Google are quite unique as companies. But I think, you know, a lot of people when the market crashed in 2001 would have thought, you know, screw tech. It's, you know, it's a fad. It's done. Yeah. But there's, there, you know, even in the worst of crashes, there's people who buy and hold and, you know, 15 years later, they've come out on top. It's, uh, yeah, it's probably exactly. a good lesson for all of us. Well, they're now some of the biggest companies in the world. So they've yeah. definitely uh, got something going for them. Yeah. Also, just to point out that in, in cases like this, and it happened to Facebook. Once they get to a price like this, there's uh, the option to split the shares so that rather than being $1,000 and continuing up, they will split the shares and create more um, so that the price um, is reduced to make it more accessible for uh, in, uh, retail investors like yourself and I. So for example, if you held one share of Amazon for 1000 and they decide to split it four ways, that means you'll then hold four shares at $250 each and they will now be $250 on the market. So you could then go and buy them for that amount rather than someone having to have a thousand they can buy one for 250 not everyone will do that the most famous example of not doing that is berkshire hathaway which is yeah. now trading for something like 250 grand per share yeah. um, <laughs> so if you bought if you bought that when it was you know a few dollars a share you're um you're laughing you are cheering yeah. well look who knows amazon and alphabet not might not decide to do it and we could be sitting here talking about how thousand dollars wow one share but who knows in 20 or 30 years 50 years amazon might also be three hundred thousand dollars so yeah, keep nice. keep Berkshire in mind when that when yeah. you're thinking about looking at Amazon. Oh, a thousand dollars is too expensive. <laughs> it's too expensive. It could be worth a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for the news. Some good stuff in there. So to move on, we're, we're going to bring in a bit of a book review segment here. Ren's been reading a, a a book that we discussed in I think episode five or six when we were talking to Andrew Brown. He suggested a book that. Well, how much is it now online? Uh, if you want to buy a new copy off Amazon, it's about uh, one thousand five hundred. There you go. So, so almost the price of one Amazon share. Yeah. <laughs> so Ren is lucky enough to come across a version that wasn't as expensive and uh, yeah. you've been re reading it over the last couple of weeks. So um, take it away, Ren. What do you got? Yeah, so I guess the best place to start is um, who wrote this book? Who mm -hmm. who writes a book that is worth uh, $1,500? So the investor's name is Seth Klarman okay. and uh, he is very highly respected in the investment world. So much so that he's been nicknamed the Oracle of Boston, which is an homage to Warren Buffett's Oracle of Omaha. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, he has this—he has a very similar philosophy to Buffett. You know, value investing: find companies that are undervalued and buy a lot of it, and wait for that value to be realized by the broader market. Okay. Um, the story goes that Warren Buffett keeps a copy of Margin of Safety on his bookshelf. So you know, that's that's so that's sort the of name this, of the book. Uh, it's called the yeah the book called margin of safety <laughs> probably okay. should have introduced that at the beginning <laughs> Uh, and just to give you an idea of, you know, what Klarman's done as an investor, he is the head of a investment company called Borpost. I uh, probably okay. butchered that pronunciation, pronunciation, but Borpost Group. Uh, he's only lost money three out of the 34 years that he's been in business and has wow. seen a 20% compounding annual rate of return. What? So essentially, he's making 20% a year every year for the Whoa. last 34 years. <laughs> that That is actually Buffett's, Buffett's yeah, sort of Yeah, it's unbelievable. League. Well, I... 
This could be wrong, but I think it's almost at Buffett. It may have been better than Buffett. Wow. Like, excluding Buffett's crazy early years. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I'm I'm not talking out of any figures here, but yeah, look, That's it's fine. bloody close. It's, it's, it's bloody <laughs> it's bloody impressive. Wow, wow. Um. So yeah, now Klarman wrote this book in 1991, and they originally sold for only 25 bucks, but you know they stopped printing them. Uh, I think it didn't do well too well to start with, but uh, then it got a cult following. So that's why they're so expensive now. Um, mm. I was lucky enough to get my hands on a copy and I, I've i pulled out three things that I reckon everyone can take away from. Uh, but, you know, it's definitely worth calling your local library and seeing if they've got a, <laughs> they've got a spare copy. Because, or call um, Ren, you can rent yours out. I could, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, interesting, interesting. Should, we'll put up our prices on the website. Shoot, and shoot us can... an email, uh, equitymates at gmail.com. Um, we'll, you know, we'll negotiate. <laughs> So just to confirm, or well, just to reiterate, it's Margin of Safety by Seth Klarman. Yeah, spelled right? K-L-A-R-M-A-N. Cool. Yeah. All right. So what are the three? What are the three takeaways? So the first one is something he calls the institutional performance derby, and it's a it's a common critique of Wall Street these days. But um, it's something that everyone should just keep in mind when they're thinking about uh, who they're choosing to manage their money. You know, even if you don't have a lot of spare cash that you got you have being managed everyone's got a super fund um this is something that everyone should think about because most people don't think about it and he talks about for for wall street the incentive structures is all wrong mm-hmm. uh all all these big institutions all these big banks um all these big investment banks they make money on activity and transactions in the market yeah you know, companies make money on brokerage on underwriting new securities uh they make commission on convincing investors to purchase certain investments mm-hmm. and this is all based this is all done regardless of the outcome on these activities and then for investment funds or superannuation funds money is made as a percentage of money under management rather than the performance in a lot of cases so that seems means, like a bit of a ripoff yeah yeah it is but it just means the incentive for these you know superannuation funds or these big investment funds is to get more people into the fund rather than to manage the money in the fund really really well yeah um and a lot of, a lot of the time it's perform there's performance fees as well so if they kill it they'll also get a percentage of that mm. um, but the main consistent money is made from management. Mm. And then he also talks, so combine all that with this, the hyper short-term focus of a lot of Wall Street people and Wall Street firms. So, you know, because Wall Street and, you know, by extension, all investing markets really, mm. is just so hyper competitive. It's really hard to have a long-term focus. Yeah. Uh, it's really hard to tell your investors that, you know, five to 10 years down the line, we'll be doing okay, but you've just mm. got to sort of hold out now. A, a great example, not in this book is Warren Buffett during the 80s the high flying years of the 80s when everyone was making a buck and everyone was killing the market Warren Buffett's you know slow patient value investment approach was pretty ridiculed at the time well at least he was you know criticized for leaving money on the table but come the crash of 87 and come the you know the market correction people started to see the value in what Buffett was doing so Look, this is essentially what Klarman's writing about. And the big thing that I took away from it is that, you know, even if someone professes to be an expert and professes to be acting in your best interest, you've always got to look at the incentives underlying that. Is it just a super fund who's looking to get more money into their fund so they can take more more fees? Or, Hmm. you know, is this person trying to sell you based on, you know, their last six months performance of their fund rather than the last six years? Hmm. Um, Hmm. And he, I mean, he's pretty scathing about what he calls the institutional performance derby it's a good read it um it challenges a lot of preconceived notions i had about you know the 
the expertise of, of Wall Street or, you know, investors. It sounds like almost like a big sales pitch from some of them. Well, it is. It is. Yeah. And ironically enough, this book maybe was a sales pitch to put money in his fund. But <laughs> um, no, I think I think he makes some good points. Yeah. The good thing that he doesn't he doesn't get too stuck in the, the detail of, you know, sort of like technical analysis or terminology. Like he just lays it out really clearly and really simplistically, like how the incentives are structured and how that is a problem for some people so um mm. definitely something to think about and always something to keep in mind when you're choosing you know what super fund uh, yeah. or you know what financial advisor um you're gonna you're gonna take on yeah nice because at the end of the day fees year on year add, add up to quite a substantial amount of your portfolio that has to be paid out to someone else so yeah, yeah. definitely good, good point yeah. So the next thing that he wrote about that's worth keeping in mind is investment fads. Okay. Now, investment fads for Klarman writing in 91 were things like leverage buyouts and risk arbitrage. Now, you don't really need to know what these fads were, but, you know, they were big in the 80s. They made a lot of people a lot of money. Yeah. But then, you know, the, the fad ended and, and people lost a lot of money, obviously. Yeah, all came you crashing can, down. You can see, you can see fads today. Um, you know, the big one at the moment is the, the pot stock fad you know everyone wants to own the next billion dollar <laughs> marijuana company and you know look sounds familiar yeah and <laughs> some people some people will make money on that um yeah you know it was the same in the 90s the the tech boom like mm-hmm. uh you know there, there are investment fads and Klarman he he really explains sort of how the the fad develops and it's something that FOMO oh yeah basically fear of missing it out is, it is because you know early days there are these there are a few investors that are in this particular industry and they start making a killing you know tech investors in the early 90s uh, corporate raiders in the 80s um, uh, you know people who invest in pot stocks in the early days recently um, and then everyone gets FOMO you're right and mm. in a flood of other investors jump into that market and what mm. that does is it bids up the price that investors have to pay to get into that market so yeah. because there's so much more demand it gets harder and harder to get into that market but yeah. then what also happens is that investors appetite for risk changes so you go you know the tech boom is a perfect example you go from the pretty safe pretty solid tech companies that we know were making a profit and were a solid business as well as being technology companies but as the hysteria grows the risk profile you know that you want to accept increases and you start investing in companies you know with no no profit no users no no way to make money but you know they've they've got dot com in their name so Mm. people are willing to take a punt um but then what happens is at some point people get cluey to the fad and you know everyone starts pulling their money out and then you have a, a massive correction as, as panicked investors all try and pull their money out as quickly as they can yeah and it's interesting so i mean does he discuss how to well how to manage this feeling because it's definitely a feeling that I mean I've been through, and I know a lot of our mates and, and other investors go through. Is that you, you you see these stocks soaring, and you think that you should get on board, and it's all going to be roses, and then all of a sudden you throw it in, and and you lose out. So does he make mention of what's the best strategy when this sort of stuff happens? Yeah, definitely. So the the important thing for Klarman is that he's a he's a value investor in the truest sense of the word, and so what that means is every company he looks at, he tries to determine what their value would be if you know if you took the business as a whole what its value would be and then you look at its share price 
and you try and determine if you're getting a bargain and you're just mm. trying to find value stocks regardless of what company mm. sorry regardless of what industry they're in uh regardless of what they do you're just trying to find bargains out in the share market mm. and so you know it, it doesn't matter whether you know where the crowd's going like if if you're looking at a technology company in the middle of the 90s and it's you know it's got good cash flow and you can get it for a bargain then, then get on don't board. Let, yeah don't let the fad scare you away but at mm. the same time you know if you're looking at a, a company that has no cash flow doesn't have a profit is doesn't have users is just selling a dream really mm. then mm. obviously you know avoid it um, yeah and don't don't try and don't try and make money on the fad so don't try and pick you know where the where the crowd's going and you know ride that wave and then time your exit before the market crashes yeah because you know you're literally just gambling you you are you're guessing (laughs) yeah you're you're making a bet on your ability to read human psychology more than you are business fundamentals yeah that's where a lot of people come unstuck yeah and i mean you know you can sort of see fads everywhere these days um and bitcoin yeah uh, yeah exactly (laughs) bitcoin (laughs) and and the thing is with every fad there's always a kernel of truth underlying that fad of course yeah of course and but but the important thing is just recognizing when you know even if even if it's true that you know in 20 years from now marijuana there will be like established marijuana companies that make a lot of money and you know will be very good to investors you have to be pretty confident in your ability to pick the right company uh and you know be able to you know do do the fundamental analysis to find the value stock and buy it because Mm -hmm. you know it's it's a young market there's a lot of hype and you don't know if um the company you pick will be the right one. So, and Ooh, I guess that's, that's, I like that point. It's a good one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a good book. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> well, fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah, really yeah, yeah. You'd hope you learn something. <laughs> um, so. I guess this takes us to the last lesson and this lesson was my favorite one because it is it is very simple in its essence but I reckon it's quite profound okay and it's best summed up with a question um are you investing or are you speculating nice now you know you're buying shares you're investing right yeah yeah well are you I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> Um, I know people who in, who buy shares, and I would say it's speculating. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I guess it's probably to preface it. It's probably it's probably worth talking about. You know, investing versus speculating. It's not a new question from Klarman. It's something that is kind of constantly debated by investors. What's an yeah. investment? What's you know a speculation? I mean, there are examples where. People say it's, you know, if you're buying a company before it's earning any revenue, that's what you define as speculating. Whereas if a company has revenue, it's investing. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are others. You, if you, some people say it's about time. Like if you, uh, if you, if you're only buying it for like, you know, a day or a week, then you're speculating yeah. on the price movement. Yeah. Uh, if you're buying for the long term, then it's investing. Some uh, people even look at it in terms of the price of the stock. Like if it's only under, 50 cents then you're making a speculative investment if it's over a dollar then you you know you're you're investing yeah uh, like there's risk level as well yeah, um, yeah. you I know mean- are you taking on a high risk? Then you might be more speculative. Whereas a stock that you think has a very low risk, then you might be inclined to say that you're investing. So yeah. So yeah. Look, there are lots of there are lots of definitions, and I you know I'd heard different ones, and I had a, an idea about what was investing or speculating. But I've got to say that reading this book, I reckon um, Klarman makes a very strong point for his I guess conception of what is speculating and what is okay. investing. Um, what is it? And 
And he makes the key distinction. So when you invest, you mm. are expecting to benefit from the free cash flow generated from the underlying business. So what does that mean? That means that when you buy a share and you're investing, you're expecting either the company to make money and for you to make money from dividends. So for you to earn off that investment or for the the company to make money and to grow its business operations, you know, the underlying engine, the, the actual business that you're investing in grows and it gets more customers and more, you know, more stores or more locations or more users or whatever it is. And it actually grows. And then the share price only rises because of that, uh, because of the, incre- the the increased business activity that the actual, the company's in, um, the company's seeing. Mm-hmm. So when mm-hmm. you're investing, what you're doing is you're investing in the, the revenue making ability of the business to, it's economic to continue engine. to make profit. Yeah. yeah. He, he, ju- he compares that to speculating where what you're doing is you're buying a share or an asset or anything else with the expectation to make money because others are willing to pay more for it in the future. Yeah. So what yeah. you're doing there is you're saying, you know, I am buying this share because I think the share price will go up in, you know, X amount of time. Just um, because others are buying it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, yeah. there's there's some great examples outside the investing world, you know, like people who invest in, in art, you know, they don't invest in art because like the underlying business of the, the, art, of the yeah, painting the is growing on the wall yeah 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 or there's any way that that painting itself changes is over generate time. you money yeah. um but you know people are investing in it because they have the expectation that someone else will pay more for it at a later date mm. you know mm. uh, it's the same with you know there, there are some there are some property investors who just buy property because they expect it to go up in value at a later date and yeah. there you're speculating on the price yeah. but, but that can be compared to people who are investing in property and what that means is you know they're buying the property and they expect to make an economic return you know from rental income every year and in that way, you know, you're expecting to generate free cash flow, i.e. Mm. rental income from the from the investment that you made in the property. So, mm. you know, it's not just like some asset classes are investing and some asset classes are speculation. But I think it, it does lead to a very powerful conclusion, which is that yeah. anytime you're thinking about putting your money in something, an investment or, you know, you're expecting to make money from something, always think, why, why do I expect to make money from it? Do I expect yeah. to make money from it just because I think that somewhere down the line, someone else is going to pay more for it um, mm. or am I putting my money into it because I expect you know the money that is generated from that you know from the business uh, earning revenue or from the property earning income or you know whatever it is it just earning money and that uh, is going to make me money I don't essentially ask yourself do you have to sell it to to make money two two things that come to mind firstly for me it, it's sort of the, the way i look at that is one you're buying it as you said into the actual business and the way that it generates money the other way you're essentially just betting that or gambling with yourself that you know the price is going to change and yeah. that's how you'll be making making your profit but the, what came to mind when you were explaining that was you know buffett one of the one of the famous things buffett says is that you know, he doesn't. He wouldn't care if the market's shut down for ten years because he knows that the businesses that he's bought will all be generating cash flow, regardless of if people are buying their stocks or not. And and he will still make income from that cash flow, regardless of if the price of the stock rises or falls. Whereas if you are a speculative investor and you put your money into a, a speculative stock, expecting that you would be making money because someone else bought. 
um, and the market's shut down, then you're not going to be making any money at all because there's no one going to be there to able to actually purchase the stocks off you. So um, that's a sort of good example yeah, of Buffett de- backing up what he's saying. Definitely. So, mm. yeah, like, I mean, there's a reason that, you know, Buffett and Klarman and all these guys have sort of had such long careers, I guess. You know, mm. um, Klarman, 34 years, a lot of success. Buffett, you know, I guess close Even to... Even longer. Close to 60 years almost. A life, a lifetime. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the important thing is that, you know, when you're, when you're investing, when you're putting your money into something, don't put it into it with the expectation that, you know, you'll find someone else. You know, in, yes. in finance, they call it the greater fool, you know. If you buy something, you've got to find a greater fool to... to purchase it off you at a higher price and that's how you make money Mm. instead you know buy business because it's a good business because it will make money for you 10 years 20 years down the line Mm -hmm. yeah so i mean look it's obviously easier said than done if um if everyone had that ability to just know that you know a business is going to keep generating profit keep growing keep paying you good dividends you know a lot more people it is easier said than done but i also take i personally take comfort in thinking about it that way for me for some reason it takes away a lot of stress rather than going in a bit blind and thinking, oh, I'm, I'm just going to put some money on this bit and hope that, you know, that it goes up or as you were talking about this FOMO thing, you know, jumping in and hoping that it's going to go up over three or four months. You can take some comfort in sitting down and actually looking at the business, taking away the price and looking at it as a business. And and if you, you can you can become confident in your own judgment over time that, yes, Despite the market fluctuations, this business will start, will continue generating revenue over time. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, nice. I like it. Yeah. Did well, you end up doing a review on that that we can put up yeah. on the website for the guys? Yeah. So, I've done a little write-up. I, um, I've um i included all three of those lessons. So, give awesome. it a read. Um, we'll we'll put that up live when the episode goes live. And... We'll also put up your um, rental prices for the book if anyone wants to get yeah, their hand yeah, on yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I'm taking all offers and, you know, if someone Even wants to... Just... Minimum price is $1,500. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If someone wants to buy it off me as well, you know, like we'll talk about it. Now, that's an investment because, you know, you're it's going to... It might... The book might not make you money, but the, the knowledge inside it, you know, will generate money for you for years to come. Well, you just told us three points and what? So, you've given us about $700 worth of value already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all checks can be sent to uh, equity mates or you can uh, direct deposit straight to our bank account. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so, no, that was good. First little book review. Well, it was a quite a lengthy one, but yeah. there was, I think those lessons were great and uh, encompass exactly what our overall sort of message is, um, especially the way both you and I are trying to invest. Okay, so moving on, stock of the week. We'll keep this one brief because there's not a lot to discuss about it, but it's an interesting concept that we came across during the week and that we thought um, we'd share with you guys. It's sort of in line with what we were discussing earlier about um, this whole doom and gloom and people thinking that the market is going to be turning and and what what does that mean in terms of constructing a portfolio and what are some ways in which you can set up your portfolio so that it has a defensive element so that if the market does turn, you've got some stocks in there that either won't crash as hard or will actually make you some money. Now, I know that sounds a bit weird. How can stocks make money when the whole market is going down? But It's all to do with shorting the market, which is a concept that we'll discuss later on. But this week's stock of the week is called BEAR, B-E-A-R. Yes, it's not the traditional three letters that the ASX usually follows, but that's because this is an ETF uh, that is negatively correlated to the market. And what that essentially means is that if the 
S&P ASX 200 goes up, then the value of there is going to go down and vice versa. Yeah, so, it's, it's, meant, it's meant to be correlated pretty closely. So it means if the ASX goes up, 1% bear goes down 1% and vice versa. If, yeah. yeah. So you're betting on the market going down. So with that in mind, then it makes sense that you wouldn't be purchasing this stock if you have... Uh, and you know, if you think that the market over a period of time is going to be going up, you wouldn't solely have a lot of cash in this because it's negatively correlated and it would continue to lose value. However, it's something that is worth having in the market when, uh, sorry, in your portfolio when you know we have been talking about, as I said, the doom and gloom, that sort of stuff, so that when markets do turn, you will make a bit of money from at least this stock. So to give you an example that it does actually do what it's supposed to. Let's just look at May. At the start of May, the S&P 200, ASX 200, was at about 5,900 points. And at the end of May, it was at about 5,720 points or thereabouts. So it fell by just under 5%. And Bear went up just over 4% or about 18 cents. So it does show that it does exactly what it's supposed to. And having that in your portfolio is a great way of offsetting any losses that you may make across the board. Now, that's not to say it'll offset all of your losses because there'll be some stocks that fall a lot harder. But I guess it just depends uh, how much you buy. Exactly. So in terms of going forward, you know, I think that, you know, depending on your level of experience, um, this is a good stock to have ready to implement when you can see that, you know, the, the, the market might be turning. Um, I personally wouldn't have it sitting in my portfolio all the time. It would be something that I would deploy um, as I think that the market might be on a trend down. I'm not going to be buying this to sit in my portfolio for two or three days. But if if we're trending over two or three months that it's going to be going down, and that obviously is hard to predict, but that's something that I would look at having in my portfolio. So Yeah. I mean, look, a lot of, a lot of people used to do, um, do this with gold. Uh, yeah. So what they would do is, you know, they'd have their portfolio and then they would buy gold because gold is a counter cyclical asset. So what that means is when the market's going up, gold price is generally not doing that well. But then when the market falls, a lot of people take their money out of shares and put it into a safe haven that's gold and gold prices go up. So people, um, you know, protect their mar- protect their investments by having a bit of gold in their portfolio. These days, yeah. because of ETFs like this, you, yeah, you can more accurately protect your portfolio, I guess. You can buy something that you know is going to be counter-cyclical because it is, you know, directly negatively correlated to the market. Um, so, yeah look some mm. some people would buy it for safety some people would be really strategic with it if they reckon the market's really really getting to the top of its cycle yeah they, they they'd might, be going hard they might lo- yeah they would load up they would take they would start selling their shares where they've made a lot of money um as the market rises putting it into something like bear and then as the market tanks bear then gives them because bear goes up in price when the market bottoms out they can sell that and they can buy a whole bunch of shares and then ride the the you know crescendo of the market once again it's obviously it's obviously really nice in theory it's really hard to time the market that well yes. but you know it's a strategy that 
you know, some people try to do, some people do quite well. It's definitely worth thinking about and um, it's and definitely look, it worth knowing about. Yeah, it doesn't have to be 20% of your portfolio or 30% of your portfolio. You could even be as small as 5% or you might even just decide to have a little bit in there just to see how it moves. But, but we're going to chuck it in to our portfolio online because both of us are feeling a bit bearish at the moment. Yeah, and you know, it's a good learning experience to sort of see how it operates in the portfolio. Yeah, you know, yeah. Everything else in our portfolio has gone up so far so we're kind of made it so not everything can all be in positives because yes. if the rest of our stocks all go up chances are bear will go down and vice yeah. versa so you know, yeah. farewell all greens but <laughs> <laughs> hopefully farewell. more consistent longer term returns as a That's result right. yeah. and look if if our attitude changes towards the market over time then we'll make a decision accordingly to whether or not we keep this in our portfolio or not but you know, both of it, both of us just found this was a interesting stock and a great way to get access to shorting the market as such without actually having to go ahead and do it all yourself. So yeah. that's our stock, stock of the week. We'll be throwing thousand bucks towards it with our new broker IG. Yeah, first and- first buy with the new broker and hopefully future sponsors. So <laughs> IG, if you're out there, give us a call. <laughs> that's it that um, brings us to the end of uh, episode 11 some great stuff in there I really enjoyed the book review there's some great lessons and as we mentioned Ren will throw up your review of that on the website when the podcast goes live this Sunday we have got some feedback during the week about our news episodes so we're going to also keep you guys updated about actually where we're getting our um, news from um, and we'll chuck that up online as well we might even do it through facebook but we'll start online on our website equitymates.com so that you guys can do a bit more research about yeah. what we're talking about going forward it's probably worth um, saying it's probably worth saying as well um on on our facebook page we you know share news that interests us um so you know if people are wondering where we get our news um our facebook page will be a good starting point for you guys to sort of read some of the same articles that we're reading yeah yeah it's it's because uh, we read this stuff every day, so we love it. Um, so yeah, look, uh, thanks for listening and keep the feedback coming in. We really appreciate it. It's our best way of improving um, with you guys. You can contact us via email equitymates at gmail.com or through our website or Facebook page. But until next time, we've got an investor, expert investor lined up for our next episode. Keep posted, keep listening, subscribe and rate us and we'll talk to you next time. There you go. There you are. <laughs> Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation.